All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Bota Podcast, World Views and Culture with me, Leonita, your host. <laughs> so today I have a special guest. She is the author and writer of Shame Among the Shameless. It is a book that just came out a few months ago. And she's here to talk about her inspirations for the book, a little bit about it. I'm excited to have uh, Monica Coletti here. Uh, welcome. How are Hi. you today? Good, good. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It's an honor to be here with you. Thank you. I, I'm glad that you're here with me. When I've seen your book out in the public and published, I need to get to know, like, what is this all about? Like, it looks so interesting because I haven't read it yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I hope to read it soon. I really want to know more about the book and what it's about. But I also want to know about you. Where are you from originally? Well, thank you. I was born in Dej. My parents are from the region of Zadrima, which is um, an area north. And shortly after I was born, my parents and I immigrated to the United States. And I was only three months old when we came here. We lived and I still live in Macomb Township my entire life. Growing up, I always heard my dad speak so much about his past, but it was never, you know, like in one sitting. It was more so bits and pieces over dinner or maybe during Christmas or whenever we had a few minutes here and there to chat. And he would talk about his own struggles, but he would talk about his father's struggles, uh, my grandfather and their entire family. So from a young age, I was very drawn to my family history and just history in general. I went to Oakland University. I got my bachelor's in political science, graduated in 2018. And then shortly after is actually when I started writing the book. Right after that, I uh, entered into law school. So that's where I'm at right now. So that's basically a fast forwarded version <laughs> of my life. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's amazing. You're in law school. That's a big thing. And you just wrote your first book and published it. That's a lot. What was going through your head? Did you take like a break to just kind of write this book or was it like a process? No. So I did not take a break. I, I always thought to myself, you know, I need a break to write this book and life just happens. And I originally got the idea to write this book when I was 15 years old, but at that time, you know, I was in high school and you just don't have the confidence that you do when you're older. And I just knew that that was going to be a project going into the future, but I did not know exactly when I would start. Throughout college, again, life happens. I didn't find the time. I didn't think I had the time. I kind of envisioned just only focusing on the book when life really isn't like that. I mean, I wish it was because then you could devote more time to uh, one thing in your life. But I realized that life is just passing. And if I don't do it now, life is only going to get busier as I get older. And when I finished college, I was still working full time, but I had that extra time, you know, at night when I would come home and I told myself it was now or never. So I, and I knew that I would have a challenge coming up in a few months because I was starting law school and I heard these horrific stories about law school. So I was already terrified, but I thought to myself, you know what, better start it. And then I'll see where life takes me from that point on. So I devoted that entire summer of 2018 to just writing. I think I got four chapters done. And from there, I started law school. And that was a lot, just law school in general. You know, first year, it was rigorous. Mm -hmm. But I learned a very valuable lesson in life mm -hmm. that if you wanted something, you will find the time for it. So I would start classes at nine o'clock and I would wake up in the morning and I would devote 30 minutes to writing. And I did that every single day. 
some days, you know, I had more time just depending on how my day was or how my week was, but I made it a priority to devote 30 minutes every single day to writing. And before I knew it, a year later, I had very, very rough drafts. That takes a lot of dedication and discipline to really sit down and do it. But I feel like when you're so devoted and passionate about it, yeah, you can make the time for that goal. You had the full final draft done. Was that the end of 2018? No, it took me a year. End of summer of 2019. I had the very, very rough. And when I say very, very rough draft, emphasis on very rough. <laughs> so from there, did you work with an uh, editor and all this other stuff? From there, I actually knew I needed an editor because, you know, I can write a story, but your own eyes cannot catch your own mistakes. And I wanted a third person to really read this because of course I would have my dad look it over, but I needed someone who was not in my family to read it and let me know what they think. Uh, preferably someone who's American and had no idea about the Albanian culture because this book is written in English. So I wanted any American reader to be able to pick this book up and feel and understand the story. I did a lot of research online. This was a very difficult part of my, I guess you could say writing, getting this book out there. I knew what editing was, but I didn't know, you know, the different kinds of editing and I don't know who to go through. And I, I don't know how, but I found a website after a lot of weeks of research. It was called readsea.com. And, you know, I just took my chances. I put my profile on there and I sent out samples of my manuscript. So it would be like three pages of my book and I would send them out and I would get a quote back from an editor and that person would edit my book in those three pages. And I would decide based on their price and based on how they edited the book, if I wanted to choose them or not. I don't know how best to describe this, but to give someone my book to edit, it was very difficult because I wanted to find the most perfect person. And, you know, there's no such thing as being perfect, but I wanted to find the closest thing in an editor. My first editor actually canceled on me, <laughs> but I just told myself, you know, maybe this is meant to be. I was very positive, but also stressed. So I had to start the research of finding an editor all over again. So my book stood still for a little bit, or my manuscript, I should say, uh, without being touched because I needed to find an editor. And then I found this lovely lady across the US. I actually never met her in person, but I talked to her over the computer all the time. And she edited the first three pages and she completely tore it apart. And that's how I knew she was the one. So I was like, okay, this is the girl that I'm going to go through. I don't care how much it is. This is, she, she did such an excellent job. So there was two parts to the editing process because there's a lot of editing that's involved. So she made corrections and sent the manuscript back to me. It took me a few months to make those corrections. And then I had to give it back to her to do the second part of the editing. And actually when she got it back to me, quarantine started. I think like everyone, I was very overwhelmed when we went into lockdown because I'm a busybody and I, I can't sit in my house. But then again, you know, I looked at this maybe as a positive thing. So I said to myself, you know, like, it's okay. Maybe this is going to be my time to edit my book because I really struggled with timing. You know, I was still juggling, you know, law school plus work, part-time job plus the editing for this book and quarantine happened. So I had a lot of time and I'm not thankful for quarantine because it was, it was a rough few yeah. months for everyone, mm -hmm. but I found a way to make it positive for myself. And I just devoted any extra time that I had to that book. And really it was my saving grace during that period because it gave me something to do and something to focus on. And 
to look forward to the future. And at that time, that was really what I needed. Kind of like that silver lining that you try to find in like situations where it's like wild craziness happening. Then you you went through that, you got all your editing done. So when was that moment where it was, this is done? You knew. So June, if my memory serves me correctly, I made all the corrections to the second part of the editing that she had sent to me. And it was very difficult for me to look at my my manuscript and think it's done because I'm a perfectionist and I found it so hard to believe that it was done. I think I reread it two times until the point that I published it. And then at that time, I devoted to finding an artist to design my cover. I saw this girl, her name was uh, Valbona de Dubukai on Instagram on my explore page. Mm-hmm. She was an artist and I followed her and I looked at her work and the style that she had for her art, I knew that's how I wanted the cover of my book to be. So I reached out to her a little bit nervous. You know, you never know if someone is able to, if they're free or they're open to working on the cover of a book. You know, everyone has their own project. And she was such a sweetheart. I will never forget the response that she sent me. And again, same with the editor and now the artist. I I knew I had found the right person. She worked step-by-step with me. I told her what I envisioned and she brought that to life. And I could not be more thankful. Oh, I have heard of her. Like I've seen her work as well, like on Instagram. It is she's, so cool. She's an amazing artist, but also an amazing person. It's so good when you can connect with people that understand you and like your vision and what you want. And Yes. And I really wanted another Albanian to design my cover. Not that someone else couldn't have done it, but I just felt like they would have also a connection to the book, you know, to the history. And it just worked out perfectly. What is your book about? My grandfather and his entire family were persecuted and oppressed by the communist regime. And actually, their oppression began shortly after communism came into power. My grandfather's parents actually disapproved of the new government just because they spoke out against religion. Of course, they didn't outlaw religion right away in the beginning, but they spoke out against it. And just the policies that they wanted to bring to Albania, you know, just like how you can disapprove of any politician, they just disapproved of him. They sided with the opposing side. And I call them guerrillas in English. Um, They were the ones that were rebelling against the government physically. And my grandfather's parents in the book, their names are Toma and Lina. They took it upon themselves to feed those people and to provide shelter to them because they were their voice. They had no other way of expressing their voice. They couldn't speak out. So they supported those people physically and the government actually found out about it. And Mm -hmm. when they found out about it, they imprisoned my grandfather's parents, Toma and Lina. And when they were imprisoned, Vasa, which is their oldest son, he was in the military. And when he discovered that his parents were imprisoned by the government that he was fighting for because he was in the military, he decided that he was no longer going to do that. He said he would not fight for a government that was fighting against his parents. So he decided to join the guerrilla movement and he wanted to do that for himself. There were seven kids total. The rest of the siblings, including my grandpa, they were at home just going about their normal lives. The next oldest son, Luke, he also went to the military because his time to serve came shortly after. While he was serving in the military, the rest of the siblings, 
were taken to an internment camp. And while they were there, the oldest son, I'm not going to go into too much detail because I don't want to ruin it for uh, anyone who hasn't read it yet, but Vasa was ultimately killed. And the rest of the children served their time in the internment camp, which was actually located in Tepelin. And the parents also, they were serving their time in prison. And then they were eventually released also to the internment camp. And you discover when you get past the internment camp part in the book that Luc, when he finished his time in the military, he was actually arrested. And no one knew. And that's how I wrote it in the book too, because mm. siblings had clue that their brother was arrested. They thought he was in the military. He actually served, um, I believe, six months in a black hole. So there was a hole inside of the ground and he was confined with uh, his legs folded and his hands tied behind his back in complete darkness and complete silence. And then he served that time in uh, the cell. And then after his trial came and then sentenced to uh, hard labor. That is eventually how the book ends. Not a very happy ending, but when you tell a true story, you can't always make a happy ending. And sometimes life is like that. And it's mm. very unfortunate that our lives had to be like that. And that's what motivated me to write this book is because their lives were so unfair. And it was difficult for me to comprehend that at such a young age. And knowing that there was nothing that I could do about it physically, you know, it's in the past, it's done with, and I just had to accept it. But once I accepted it, I realized that there was something I could do about it and I could record this. So future generations, my children, my cousin's children, this story doesn't get lost because, you know, I'm living here in America. My other cousins are in Italy, you know, we're all across the globe and as generations pass, stories are just forgotten, not on purpose, but that's just what happens. And sometimes memories also don't serve you correctly when time passes. So that's ultimately what pushed me to write the book. And now that it's done, I'm so glad that it's done just solely my family line. Whoever comes after me, they can read this and understand where they come from and how brave their ancestors are, because I'm very proud of them and mm -hmm. what they did. Standing up for what you believe in and knowing that there might be a chance of retaliation um, against that for something so simple that you wouldn't think like they didn't do anything wrong, you know, uh, at that time because of the, the whole regime and communism, it was like just being a virtuous person. It seemed like just helping somebody else, you couldn't do that. Yeah, it's so hard to think that people get prosecuted just for certain beliefs that they have or, you know, things that they try to do to help others that just that was something I had such a difficult time wrapping my brain around, especially when I was writing the book, because like I said, I was born in Albania, but I was raised here in America. And I don't know what it is to struggle. Thankfully, by the grace of God, I've had no struggles in life where I'm, for example, wondering if there's going to be food on the table or if I will have a roof over my head tonight or anything like that. And for me, someone who had such an easy and great life to write about some struggle that was so grave and so difficult to even wrap your mind around, that was something that I struggled with. I wanted to depict their struggles as accurately as possible and to the best of my abilities.
when you got it done and everything, did you show it to your parents right away? Or did you tell them like, oh, I'm going to write this book about this, like, just so you know, or was it after you'd completed it? Actually, I told my dad when I was 15 years old that I was going to write this book because that's when I got the idea to write it. History is my favorite subject. And I discovered that history was my favorite subject in my global history ninth grade class. And my teacher had an extra credit assignment to read a book about the Armenian genocide. I read this book and I felt the main character's pain like I had lived it or like it was my own. That's when I had gathered all the information about my family and I knew what their struggles were. And I was reading about this young boy's struggle under the Armenian genocide and I, who am Albanian American, I was able to understand it and comprehend it completely. So that's when I got the idea and I had the spark in me. My dad picked me up from school that day when I had finished reading it and we were in the car and I remember I was so nervous to tell him, I don't know why, but I was so nervous to tell him. And I said to him, I'm going to write a book about, about your family. I just spit it out. And he just didn't respond. <laughs> I think he was a little bit confused or I don't even know. I, or maybe he never even thought of something mm-hmm. like that to book about his family struggles but I mentioned it to him and I think he, all he said was, I was like, did you hear me? And he goes, okay, yeah, you can do that. And didn't start it until I was, I believe, 22 years old. I like to do things and then tell people about it later. So I kind of mentioned it to him. You know, I started writing that book that I told you about years ago. I actually didn't have him fact check it because I just wanted to get the writing part down. I just wanted to get that rough draft done. And I knew if I would pause and ask for this and then ask for that, you know, there's many questions that arise when you're writing something that is nonfiction. And then I told him a year later when I had finished and we went through, I highlighted check things that I was unsure about. He had to call up some of his cousins, you know, to also make sure, because like I said earlier, stories change as time goes on and you have to make sure that you can preserve that. He knew I was in contact with my editor and I told him I had finished it. Once it got published, he read it. But before that, I had no one else besides my editor read it at all. Yeah, because then people are going to say like, well, you should say this this, or do that. Exactly. So the book is labeled creative nonfiction. And I really struggled going back and forth. Is this historical fiction? Or is it creative nonfiction? Because there are minor characters in there, characters that have a little bit of dialogue here and there that are created and made up. So I didn't know if that would make the book technically historical fiction. Historical fiction is when your main characters are actually fictional and with made up names. And because my characters are all real people based on their true life events, the book is labeled nonfiction. But then I struggle with the parts that are, you know, made up. So the story flows. I really wanted the book to be like a movie. I hate when I pick up a book and I have to force myself to turn the page. There's bits and pieces in there that are created to keep the reader engaged. And that's also why I didn't have people read it or anyone else besides my editor, because I didn't want them to say, oh, why did you add this? Or no, this is, you know, Mm -hmm. not part of it. And when it is about real life, sometimes it's hard. People are kind of almost afraid to really get into it because they're like, oh my God, this is like real. This actually happened. And sometimes people get kind of sensitive about it. Yeah. Even my sister, she's reading it right now and she'll finish a chapter and she'll be like, please tell me that this part is not real, please. And sometimes I say yes and sometimes I'll say no, but most of the times it's yes. And she just, it's just seeing her as a reader, you know, I live with her, seeing her reaction to it, it 
brings that to life that yeah people struggle with something so brutal harsh reality it's it is difficult to read and actually the book is recommended for people who are 18 years and older just because there's graphic descriptions of torture and violence mm. wow oh man just like talking about it. I don't know why I'm like getting like goosebumps and I'm like ah, like shaky or something <laughs> I'm trying not to get emotional too <laughs> oh goodness it takes a lot to take a story that you've heard as a child over the years as you grew up and to take all of that and put it all into one book so that's really impressive and it's really wonderful to see that you strived for this and completed it and you showed it out to the world like you said even if it's just for your family and for yourself that that's yes. enough sometimes and that's what motivated me while I was writing it because you know there was days where it was difficult but I would stop and I would remember there's a quote it says when you feel like quitting remember the reason why you started and I would always bring myself back to that because I don't want anyone who comes after me to ever forget that story no matter where they are so when you came up with the name like shame among the shameless was that like something you knew right away surprisingly I had the title when I was 15 when I had that spark an idea to write the book I knew exactly what my title was going to be for a long time I struggled how am I going to start it I would research how to write a book I would literally google that how to write a book and so many websites would discuss how to come up with a title and I always wondered, I, I didn't have a struggle with coming up with a title at all. And I think it's because the title is exactly how I felt when I heard these stories about my family members. I knew based on what my dad told me that it was very shameful to go against the regime and the regime made you feel shameful for doing so. And it made me angry that my ancestors felt shame for doing something that I and anyone would be so proud of. And some of them, I could never say that to them, you know, because they passed before I was born. But just hearing their their story, I was so proud of them. And when I would hear these stories about how they were made to feel shameful for what they did, I knew that they were shameless. And that was my title. I knew it right off the bat. And even my dad was impressed when I told him. And he doesn't give out compliments easily. So when he approved of the title, I was like, okay, this is this is a good title. It really hits you, like it grabs you right away. Do you have a favorite part in your book that you would maybe want to share with the listeners or maybe even read like a little part of it for us? Yeah, of course. So that I have a two-part answer to that. I have a favorite chapter and that is chapter nine and that is Duke's chapter. And this is my favorite chapter because I was able to interview my great uncle, my Sakli, and I was able to get the information firsthand from him. I truly feel like he struggled the most out of every single person and every single character in my book. And I really wanted to bring that story to life as much as possible. And hearing it firsthand from him, that makes it my favorite chapter. That's my first answer. Favorite chapter, chapter nine. My favorite expert from the book is actually the last page. Let me flip to it. I'll give some context to it. Uh, the last chapter ends when Luke comes back from serving his time. And everyone is just shocked. Everyone in his family awaiting his arrival. And it really tore up at them waiting for him to come back because they had finished their service. And 
he was still serving and he was serving because his brother went against the government, not because he did. And, you know, that really ate at them. So they were not able to live freely until he was released. So the entire book ends when he comes home and they're all there eating and they're trying, you know, not to ask him too many questions and making him feel comfortable. This is how it ends. As he's eating, they are talking and what did they do to you? Lena whispered when he finished eating. I'd never heard her speak quietly. Her voice always carried in a room. Luke blinked a couple of times without looking at her. Did you hear me? She asked patiently. He nodded, still staring at the floor. I held my breath, waiting for him to speak. After a few moments, his eyes sparkled and a tear slid down his cheek. There's not a pen in this world that can write of the pain I endured. And that last sentence is something he's always said and says until this day, uh, because it is true. There's no, there's no book, there's no pen that can write of his struggles or any of the characters in the book and what they went through. And I really wanted that to be my last sentence, because even though I wrote this book, I don't believe it does justice to what they went through or describes in full the struggle that they lived with every single day under oppression. And that that's why it makes that my favorite uh, expert from the book. And it's actually yeah. the last page. Oh my gosh. And on a realistic note. <laughs> Wow. Sorry, I'm making, making you emotional. I'm making myself emotional. <laughs> I literally am like, like my skin is like goosebumps. Oh my gosh. Whew. That was that setting of just them being at that table and everyone's like kind of like, what, you know, what happened or what's going on? And and then him is just, I can never really ever explain it. You know, yeah. there's no. He, he, he said that his entire life and he's still alive. He's actually the only living sibling of my grandfather. And he still says it as, as I was interviewing him, he kept repeating that. And I know it was true. Oof. Man. Oh, those are strong people. Your great great parents and all of them. Like, I don't know how, when you could go through something like that and just still try to keep going and work for your family. And, you know, that's, yeah. I think that's a lot of, a lot of Albanians are that mentality too. Yeah, I agree. That no matter like what happens or what we grow through, we always think we got to look forward to the future. We need yeah. for the future generations, for our children and our children's children. Like we got to still keep fighting for them, but our generations keep growing. Yeah, that's Powerful. exactly what they, they were. I think everyone can, every Albanian can say this about their family members. The people that came before us were very strong and brave people, no matter what came in their life or what life brought them. Yeah. <laughs> I really need to get the book and read it, but I'm still like, I, I think I need to be like prepared, like in a moment, like, okay, <laughs> If I do read through it, I'll probably have to like take so many breaks <laughs> just to like, <laughs> that's how you know it's, you know, when the truth is and you sometimes have to just face it and to learn from it and show that experience. So like you said, others can know and understand. Yes, yes. And there's this quote that says, uh, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. 
and not that communism, you know, is going to come back, but you never know. You never know what can happen. So it's very important to study history, good parts, but also bad parts. So we learn and we see, oh, this concept during communism was bad and it is still bad. You know, it didn't work back then. It won't work now. That's a good quote for sure. And it's so important. Have you got a lot of good feedback from people like in the community and like even maybe outside of the community, like Americans or anything like that? So I had zero expectations after writing the book, you know, sales or people even reading it. And I was just in complete awe instantly after I announced publicly that I had wrote this book. I received so many kind and heartfelt messages from Albanian Americans. And I was surprised by that. Looking back, I don't know why I was surprised, but I think the best way to describe astonishment is because I know I love history, but I don't know if other people like history and specifically my family's history. I did not think some random, you know, Albanian here in the States would see this and love the book so much. And so I received messages from friends and family. And that was so sweet. And I just cannot thank those people enough. But I was extremely surprised by strangers who reached out, shared their family story with me, some similar. And it just, I'm still at a loss for words of how to describe how I felt when I, and I'm still receiving emails and messages from strangers that I've never met before. And just reading their messages, I I feel this connection with people that I've never met. And I, I just cannot thank them enough. It's just, I feel like I've known these people my entire life after the message that I received from them, even though, you know, I've never seen them. I never spoke to them in person, just their kind words and support for the story means the absolute world to me. And I cannot thank anyone who has reached out enough. It's well-deserved. I mean, I think you, you've done such an amazing thing. And those people can see it. And when you gain to connect with a story and connect with somebody like that, it is, there's no words for it sometimes. Yeah. Do you have any future projects? Or do you feel like now that you've written your first book, you're like, I want to keep going. I want to keep writing. <laughs> or is it you're like, oh, I'm done with that. I, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I don't I don't really know what to say. I hate to be the person that says never, never say never. I don't, I don't like that. So I don't see myself writing another book, but you never know what life will bring to you. I also never saw myself as a as an author, and even after I wrote the book, I didn't feel like an author and um a girl reached out to me and she asked me for some advice and she introduced herself and she said, I'm a writer too. And I thought to myself in a brief second, I was like, what is she saying? I'm a writer too. I was like, I'm not a writer in my head. And then I almost laughed to myself. I was like, oh my goodness, I am a writer. <laughs> I wrote a book. And so just seeing that and reading that and other people who have reached out and saying, I hope to read more of your books in the future that is just so heartwarming for me to see. And it makes me wonder, you know, maybe there is a path for me in writing, but it'll only be for something that I have my absolute heart on. 
so I don't see myself writing something just to write it. it has to it has to make an impact somewhere it needs to it needs to do something for somebody so I cannot write a book I know that for a fact I I will not write a book just for the sake of writing a book it needs to come from within it needs to come from my heart as of now no I, I do plan on though having my book translated in Albanian and I only looking for a translator to translate it preferably someone uh, here in America who can understand fully yeah. every single word. It's just very difficult for me to be able to give this to someone to translate. I need to make sure that that person, you know, can, to the best of their ability, translate and do justice to every single word that's in the book. So that, I guess you could call my next project and graduating from school and becoming an attorney. I'm a firm believer in enjoying the process and enjoying the journey because you don't always have the answers. If you did, life would be boring. Mm-hmm. So just those two, two projects, if you could call them that. Yeah. Amazing. I think, I mean, those are big things in your, that are going to happen in your life. Uh, translating it into Albanian. I think that's amazing because Albanians want to hear about that story too, and understand yeah. it at a more deeper level. So that's really cool. And then graduating, being a lawyer, like when do you graduate? Uh, summer of 20 or right before summer, 2021. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. That's exciting. And best of luck to you. I think you you have so much potential for so many things. And I can see you fighting for people, you know, as a lawyer, fighting for their rights and trying to, you know, do whatever you can to help others um, that need it. So good to see that. We need that in the world. We need people like you. Any advice or insights or anything you want to share with our listeners? I have a lot to say on this topic uh, to young listeners who are, who are listening and they have not found their passion or what they want to do. You know, after high school, everyone in this life has a gift from God. And for some people, it takes them longer than others to discover what that gift is. But everyone has something to contribute to. And it's very important that you are still and, you know, you listen to what triggers your heart you listen to your heart. I know it's so cliche, but it's so true. It it can come to you at the most random times. And when that does come to you, go for it. You know, research uh, online. Google is an amazing place. (laughs) Uh, Research the steps that you need to take to get to where you want to be. Reach out to mentors. That is extremely important. I reached out to mentors actually in the Albanian American community and they're so responsive and they want to help and especially when you're a first generation here and you don't have parents you know who went for example like my parents no one in my family I'm the first to graduate from college and the first to graduate from law school so I didn't have someone I could call like an aunt or an uncle or my dad to ask them for advice and it can be you know confusing and it can be hard and you know it can be discouraging but there are so many people, I will tell you that there are so many people in this community that are willing to help you. So shoot a message out, you know, on social media, email somebody, they will respond, they will help you and believe in yourself. Anything that you set your mind to, I believe in America, everyone can reach their potential and their dreams, firm believer in the American dream, go for it and know that you can do it. You know, you got to envision your success to be successful find your gift, reach out to mentors, see what you got to do to get there. 
and envision your success and you will get there. Yes, I think that's right on point. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much, Monica, for taking the time to talk to me and sharing your story on this podcast for our listeners, talking about your book, Shame Among the Shameless. Where can people go and get the book? It's available right now on Amazon. Uh, You can order the paperback version or the Kindle version, depending on if you like to read online or you like to have, you know, an actual book in hand. It is on Amazon as of right now. Awesome. Thanks so much to you for inviting me to be here. I love what you're doing for the Albanian American community here. I, I was so excited when you reached out to me. I think a podcast is a great resource for everyone to listen to. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It really means a lot. Yeah, so you guys can go and check out uh, Monica Kalezzi's book, Shame Among the Shameless, on Amazon. And um, reach out to me or to her um, if you need any more information or if you want to connect. I know that we, I think we both were at that um, Albanian uh, women's, professional women's organization. Yes. So if people, like you were saying about mentors and stuff, I think connecting with that um, page is a good place to start. Um, because I really like what they have to offer and all that too so yeah there's some amazing ladies in that group Mm -hmm. oh my gosh so so nice it was so good to see that I was like can we have another meeting soon (laughs) I can't wait to see everyone in person yeah seriously oh my gosh that would be ideal we will catch each other next time and I look forward to reading your book yeah thank you so much Monica thank you so much I really appreciate it bye bye Check out Shame Among the Shameless by Monica Colezzi on Amazon and leave a review of what you think about the book. Uh, also, follow me on Instagram at Bota Podcast and share, like, subscribe for more stories. Thanks. Bye.